Animal Fire Radio. This episode's brought to you by Notorious Fire Company. Firefighter owned and operated Notorious Fire Company manufactures and creates quirky and unique items for the fire service. Whether it's your stainless steel water bottles, tumblers, four-in-one koozies, you can decorate your emotional support water bottle with more than 100 different designs they offer so very much. From apparel to swag to stickers, they got you covered. Check them out at NotoriousFire.com. That's N-O-T-O-R-I-O-U-S, NotoriousFire.com. And check them out on social media, Instagram, Facebook, and TikTok at NotoriousFire. And this month with the podcast, if you use coupon code Fire Radio June 2023, that is Fire Radio June 2023, you'll get free shipping on all orders within the U.S. So check them out, NotoriousFire.com. Lenny and the crew, they're making great stuff. And I have to tell you, with the summer upon us, the sticker packs are out of control. You got everything from Star Wars to pinups and everything in between. Slap them on your beer fridges, your coolers, and your tumblers and celebrate the summer in style with Notorious Fire. A good supporter and longtime friend. We're happy to have him on the podcast with us. Check him out, NotoriousFire.com and coupon code FIREADIOJUNE2023 for free shipping all across the U.S. This episode's brought to you by Box Alarm Grills. When your apparatus arrives on scene, are you making the best showing? Looking to set your rig apart from everyone else? Want your engine, truck, or rescue to be easily identifiable? There is a solution. With large aluminum grill numbers and full-width rear mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills. Formed by Danny and a team of fellow firefighters, Box Alarm Grills gets it. They know what it means to show pride in your ride, delivering the quality construction and design that fire departments demand. That's why their grill numbers and mud flaps grab attention, enhance visibility, and make your fleet recognizable on scene while responding or just driving around town. Built in the USA by a family-owned business, Box Alarm Grills is quickly becoming the choice of fire companies, apparatus planners, and fire truck manufacturers with out-of-the-box or custom solutions. Check out functional, durable grill numbers and mud flaps from Box Alarm Grills today at BoxAlarmGrills.com and on Facebook and Instagram. And like Danny and his crew like to say, add pride to your ride. Hey everyone, Jeremy National Fire Radio. Today's podcast with a new friend, man. I got to hang with him two weeks ago in Texas, in Arlington, Texas, at the Gone to Texas Fire Forum. I said, Chief, I'd love to have you on the show. And here we are, fast forward two weeks later. Today on the show, Chief Dennis Riley out of Pittsburgh, Kansas. Chief, thanks for joining me, buddy. Absolutely, man. It's uh, it's my pleasure to be uh, be on the podcast. Yeah, this is cool. You know, so it's like what I get to do, I get to travel all over the country just like you, go to different conferences, meet different people. But then what I get to do is like I get to follow up with these guys, right? And so you and I met uh, in Arlington like two weeks ago at the Gone to Texas Fire Forum. Uh, you were instructing. I was emceeing the event for two days. Uh, you were the closer, and um, and you crushed. And I enjoyed your... I enjoyed your lecture. I enjoyed your company. We went out to dinner, I think, one or two nights, and we just had yeah. some good conversations, some good laughs, um, and so on. So it's nice to have you on the show. Uh, I'm looking forward to learning a little bit more about you as well. What I do like about it, though, is you uh, a lot of your roots come from New Jersey. 
And uh, one of the smallest states of the country, but, man, did we put out a lot of different guys into the fire service all over. And uh, your journey has taken you all over. So I'd love to maybe just start from the beginning. Like, where did the roots come from, and how did you find the fire service? Sure. Well, uh, you know, you're right about New Jersey. Uh, I, I I spent a lot of time in uh, Cherry Hill, New Jersey, and yeah. I'll, I'll get eventually get to that. But I just, to the day that I die, I'll call myself a Cherry Hill fireman. I there just, you go. I just don't happen to be on active duty with them anymore. So, you know, my story starts, uh, my story starts out on Long Island. Uh, I am a first generation firefighter. There was nobody in my family mm. ever on the job. Nobody was a volunteer. And, you know, I guess I just, you know, grew up watching fire trucks and, you know, I never grew out of that. So <laughs> I was a junior with the Patriot Fire Department, uh, left Long Island, went in the army, uh, spent six years down at Fort Bragg. And I volunteered with some local agencies down there uh, during the time I was in the service. Right. Got ready, got ready to get out of service. Uh, you, you know, and of course, you know, I'm from Long Island. So, you know, everybody gravitates to the FDNY, but they weren't given the test. And uh, I had gotten my EMT license and I was offered a position with the County Department of Emergency Services. And I actually started with them the night that I got out of the Army. So I stayed there for a couple of years, uh, went to Durham, North Carolina as a firefighter when they broke up their public safety department. And then about five years into that, you know, I got uh, the opportunity to go to Cherry Hill, New Jersey. Mm. And it, at the time, there were six independent fire fire districts and I was hired as the training captain. So I came in on that position and then I kind of rode, you know, I just rode that train, man. Uh, we, we ended up consolidating the six districts into one fire department. Uh, a lot of similarities in my story with uh, Chief Palumbo from Pensauken. Yeah. Uh, took the test. Uh, I, I wasn't going to take the test, you know, for battalion chief. You know, I was a captain. I was assigned to the rescue. I was having a good time. And then one of the other captains said, hey, man, you know, everybody's taking the test. Why don't you just take the test? And I, go, eh, I don't really, eh, I don't really care about that. He says, well, take it anyhow. And I took it, and I ended up coming out number one on the list, and I got made. How did spent. you how did you find your way back to Jersey? I mean, were you looking to come back north from from the Carolinas, right? You were down in uh, North Carolina. Yeah, I was in, Yeah, I was. I was looking for the next step. You know, I I felt like I was ready. I felt like I was ready, but I really wasn't. Mm. As most people who take a promotion, but I, I felt I was ready for the next step. And uh, the the fire department that hired me, they advertised in the International Society of Fire Service Instructors magazine, you know, you know, wanted training captain. And I put in for the job, flew up to Jersey, uh, you know, went through the assessment and I came out number one on that. And they offered me the job. So what was it? So I, what was it like to come into another department as a captain? Right, because now you're not coming up through the rank and file there, right? Yeah. And uh, and yep. it, now it's a it's a consolidated effort there, right, where they took numerous fire companies to bring them yep. in under one umbrella. So you're there through all that change. Is it a little bit different as an outsider coming into an organization, or was it, was that beneficial to you, or did you find that detrimental in some ways? Well, you know, uh, it's. It's both, quite honestly. So I didn't have any of the baggage. I didn't have any allegiance. You know, I could make my decisions, right. you know, w without any of that. But I was the outsider. I mean, the first day I walked in the firehouse, they're all just standing out at the ramp, just, you know, looking at me. Oh, 
here comes the new guy. So it, it, it was a challenge. Uh, it helped. Uh, it helped grow me as an officer and as a professional. Uh, it took me a little bit to establish myself. But what happened all in that period of time is we started to grow and we started to hire new people. Yeah. So, so you know, the old guard that I didn't have any allegiance to in the bit, you know, in proportion was starting to get a little bit smaller. Sure. And in training, I had influence over the new people. And, and, and I like to think, you know, uh, uh, is my opinion. I like to think that the quality of the product that we put out in the training division really kind of helped grow my reputation with, you know, the established staff. Yeah. So, well, that's I, it, I, right? Because in a situation like that, there's accountability built in, right? So it's like as an outsider coming in and then laying forth a blueprint to help grow this growing, you know, organization, there's yeah. accountability there. If you're not doing what you're supposed to be doing and doing it well, you know, yeah. you got to be held accountable for that. So to be able to to thrive in a department like that, you really got to put you got to have a good output. Yeah, I think. Yeah. I, and I will say that, you know, I was fortunate to be in a in a time frame that fit my personality because all this happened, you know, I went to Cherry Hill in 1989. I spent six years in the U.S. Army. I spent three years as a medic in an infantry battalion wow. in the 82nd Airborne Division. So back in 89, we, uh, what's a good way to say this? You know, we weren't as politically correct. I got it. As we are now, yeah. I mean, there wasn't a whole bunch of timeout cards and HR complaints and all that other type of right. stuff. So you know, I had a, you know, I had a couple guys buck up, and it's like, all right, bro, you know, like, uh, you know, I I spent six years of my life getting ready to get killed by the Russian army. I mean, what are you gonna do? Yeah, <laughs> you know, guys would just kind of look at you and go, oh. Yeah. Okay. Maybe we need to hit the reset button and figure out a way to talk to each other instead of talking at each other. And it worked. I mean, I just, I, I was just fortunate. I was in a good place. I was surrounded by some good people. Uh, they gave me an opportunity. Uh, they supported me. I took advantage of the opportunity. And then, you know, and, and I say this all the time. I say this a lot when I do, you know, my Facebook lives and whatever with my company. You know, positive energy begets positive energy. So, you know, you get a couple wins and you just take that energy and you make another win and you just keep on doing that. And, you know, that's my story there. No, I love that. I mean, and, and that's that's fun. I, I think the other thing you said, too, that stood out to me was it was time for you to try something new or, or push yourself to do more. Right. Yeah. So it was, you know, and and I think that's important. I think a lot of times people get stuck in a rut or the status quo and they feel that they're they need more challenge. But then it's the well, I'm pretty comfortable here. So it's like in order to challenge myself, I got to uproot or change things. And sometimes people get uncomfortable with that. For you, though, looking through and watching your career and talking with you when we were in Texas, I really got to know some of your story. And you're not afraid of trying different and new things. No, I, well, you know, I, I mean, all the things that you just said resonate with me. You know, if I'm going to do the same thing over and over and over again, you know, I'm going to get into that rut. You know, it's mm. going to take me from the position where I can do my best work 
to the, you know, to that guy who's just not me. I'm just punching the clock and, you know, and that's not me. And I, I, I am very fortunate to have spent the time in the army that I did in the units that I did, because back in the seven, you know, back in the mid seventies, when I was in the 82nd airborne division, I mean, it, it was the real deal. It was a bunch of real guys who were always pushing and, you know, that kind of rubbed off on me. And that's how, you know, when I, I mean, I went in the army, I was a kid. I came out of the army as a young man and I made that transition with these influences from these guys to always push, man. You, you know, you always got to push, you know, when you sit, you know, when you sit back, the world passes you by. So I get that. Uh, I think too, though, it's also how you carry yourself and conduct <laughs> business, right? Like, you know, what that taught you and knowing you and, and getting to know you, um, you know, you're pretty matter of fact, um, which I think is important. Yeah. Well, I, I mean, uh, you know, my, my, you know, part of my success is, you know, I just ended up in the right place at the right time. Part of my success is I had really phenomenal people invest in me. And I just, you know, I just, you know, it, it, it's not, it's not just Dennis, you know, I, I kind of joke around, you know, sometimes where I say, you know, I made chief because none of the smart guys showed up on test day <laughs> and they looked around and said, all right, give it to the tall guy. Nice. Yeah. And, 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 you know, sometimes, you know, I say that, you know, half joking, but, you know, in all, in all honesty, I mean, it's one of the things that, as you said, you know, keep me grounded so that I can interact. And, and I say this in one of my lectures, you know, you know, this fire service thing, I mean, this is a team endeavor. And if you're going to be a leader in the fire service, if you're not a people person, you're not going to go very far. And, you know, people, you know, if you're a good people person, you don't look down your nose at folks. You don't, you know, walk around with this air of superiority. You have to be grounded. You have to be relatable. You have to be at that level where you can, you know, interact with, and one of the things, and one of the things I chase a lot of rabbits. So here goes, you know, here, we're going down a hole right now. Yeah, let's go. But one of the things that I realized in my last agency, I mean, I'm 65 years old. I had to relate to 21-year-old young adults. Sure. And, I mean, that's not the easiest thing to do. And if I'm just saying, well, you know, they got to relate to me because I'm the chief, that's going to impede our ability to build the team. Absolutely. So. You got to stay grounded. You got to stay approachable. You got to stay all those things. And that's that's just the way it is. I mean, if, if you're not willing to accept that, you're not going to be a good leader. Don't take a promotion. I love the fact that when you find senior guys or, or admin or, or command staff that have many years on the job and, like you said, 65 years old in that position, and yet you know how important it is to relate to that brand-new backstep firefighter in their young 20s you have to yeah. work. You have to work just as hard as that probie does to make communication work within the department. And too many times I think guys check out and they'll use excuses and not want to pursue or do anything more than they need to and just blame or fault or point the finger at that next generation instead of trying to find a way to work with them. And in fact, servant leadership, if that's who you truly are, you work for your people, then it doesn't matter how old those people that work for you are, you got to work for them. And so if they're 20 and you're having a hard time communicating, figure it out. 
Exactly. You know, I had guys in my command and you used to get, you know, it used to kill me. Uh, well, it just cracked me up. And every once in a while I push back on, you know, blame this new generation. Oh, the millennials, all this, all that, all this other crap. And then I ask them, I said, well, do you have kids? And they go, well, yeah. I said, well, you're raising a millennial, you know, so aren't you part is? Well, no, no, no. It's like, all right, whatever. You can say all that you want until I hold you accountable to that very standard, right? So just chief, you know, the people that the chief, the people that complain the most are the ones that raise them. Right? Like I don't I don't care yep. what generation your children are. I don't care if they're Gen <laughs> Z, Gen Alpha, Gen whatever. I don't care. Millennials, it doesn't matter. It's how they're raised and what's been instilled into them. And it's always yep. the generation that raises the next generation that complains about them. Yep. And so it's your fault. Do better. Yep. If you yep. don't like if you don't like the way these kids communicate today, then you didn't yep. deliver for them. Do better. So so you know, those young people are going to be the living legacy of the fire department. Because they're going to be there after you're gone. Yep. So if you, you know, if you really care about the fire department and you care about the mission, you care about all those things, they're they're you're not going to outlast them on the job. You're going to leave before they do. So invest in them. And the other thing is, vote those folks. They're the ones who are making the push. They're the ones who are pushing the line down the smoky hallways. They're the ones who are going to be making the grabs. So we can, you know, we, we can bash them all day long, but at the end of the day, they are the ones who are at the absolute tip of the spear. And my job is to support them. My job is to put them in the position to be successful. Give them, I, I've got to resource them. I've got to train them. I've got to build that sense of team and mission focus and all that type of stuff. Now, some of them aren't going to get it. And if that's the case, you know, some of them probably need to be, you know, shown the door in a graceful way because the fire department is not the job for everybody. Correct. But a whole bunch of them, uh, look, they're smarter than I ever was. Absolutely no doubt. You know, and people say that they don't have a work ethic. People say that, you know, they're not motivated. Look, they're, they're socially conscious. Look at some of the, the movements in this country that are spurred on by these younger, by the younger generations. They're socially conscious. So what better place for a socially conscious person to be than in the fire department, making a difference in their community? They, they, they bring so much to the table if the older folks would just take a deep breath and then focus on helping them be better firefighters. A lot of this rumbling we hear in firehouses would go away. I couldn't agree with you more. And in fact, you know, it's uh, I, I've been in the fire service almost 30 years. And, and 30 years ago when I came into fire service, we had duds then, too. And we had guys yep. that couldn't communicate and we had guys that didn't get it. And so it's yep. not a it's not a generational thing. It's a people thing. Let's just hold people accountable. And that just not goes for the newer generations, but it also goes for our leaders. And if you're having a problem as a leader with your people, maybe it's not your people. Could be. Could I be. mean, it could, could very well be. You know, you need to stop, 
take a look in the mirror, you know, figure out what you're doing, figure out what your message is, you know, figure out why there's that rift. And, you know, sometimes, and look, I can be a very polarizing guy. I mean, I'm not going to lie to you. To you. I mean, they, I mean, there, there are some people who, if they know that I'm going to be on this podcast, they're going to listen to this and they're going to throw darts at the radio. Welcome when to they my hear world, my brother. Voice. Welcome to my world. That's but that's fine. okay. Yeah. That's okay. That's okay. Because I will circle back and say that every decision I ever made as an officer was geared to two things. Number one, providing the best possible service for the people who are trapped in burning buildings and put the people in my command in the position for them to be successful. So, well, hey, that's you know that's kind of the way that it goes, and that's what I expected for my subordinate officers. And some of the times when I had a conflict with my subordinate officers, it's because they weren't living up to those two expectations. And I give everybody expectations. I mean, if, if you were to come to work for me in whatever role, whatever position, I got an expectations memo. All I'm going to do is change the date and put your name on it. So everybody knows exactly what's expected of them. So now you know what's expected of you. All I got to say is do your job. If you do your job, then I'm here to support you, to do anything I can to resource you, to do all those other things. And if you don't do your job, then I'm going to hold you accountable. Well, and rightfully so. And that's the way it needs to be, plain and simple. I mean, there's there's no explanation needed there. We're going to hold you accountable for the job that you're supposed to be doing. It's that simple. Talk yep. to me a little bit about the class. So at the Gone to Texas Fire Forum, uh, you did your presentation, Tactical Excellence. It just doesn't happen. I'd love for you to unpack that a little bit for me. Let's talk about what Tactical Excellence is and then maybe why you believe it just doesn't happen. So I, I think in in the simplest terms, tactical excellence is what your community expects you to deliver and they rightfully deserve. You know, it's that ability to get into challenging, life-threatening situations and do and 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 do everything right the first time. You know, we don't we don't have time on the fire ground. And, and certainly look, you know, sometimes things don't happen the way we want them to. And we always have to have a plan B and a plan C. And, and we got to be flexible. We got to be all those things. But our job basically is to show up at these challenging, dynamic situations and do everything right the first time. And if we're going to do that, it just doesn't happen because we work for the fire department. It doesn't, it doesn't just happen because the big red truck says fire on the side and we got a blue t-shirt on. So my message is if you want to deliver tactical excellence, which is what your community rightfully deserves and they expect you to do, and tactical excellence is what you want to come into your emergency. I mean, no, I mean, if my family's in trouble, I don't want, you know, two dumbass firemen showing up in a pickup truck that can't stretch a line to the front door and push down the hallway. So if all those things, or, you know, if we can agree on those points, then my presentation is about the things that we can do day in and day out to ensure that we're providing tactical excellence to somebody who calls 911 you know we're you know we're building the team you know we understand the importance of training you know we're just not you know sitting in front of a computer I, I i had a conversation i was i was just at great lakes hot this past weekend and i made a comment you know th there's some fire departments that do search and rescue training once or twice a year 
Well, how can you ever expect to be proficient in that task if you're only training on it once or twice a year? And I tell everybody, go to firefighterrescuesurvey.com, download all the PowerPoints, print them out, and throw them on the table and start looking at what that data says. You know, in a 300, uh, excuse me, in a 3,000 point data set, you know, survival chances are like 72% if from the time the fire department arrives until we locate and remove the victim from the burning house is six minutes or less. Okay. From the time the air break hits until we're pulling the people out of the house, six minutes or less, they got like a 71% chance of survival. And these are just numbers I'm quoting right, off right, the right. top of my head. Yep. But, 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 do you, but does anybody think that you can perform to that level if you're only training on that particular task once or twice a year? And I'm here to tell you there are fire departments out there, and I know this because I travel around a lot. I talk with firefighters. I talk with chiefs. I talk with company officers. I mean, yeah. Okay, you know, hey, this quarter we're going to do a search and rescue drill, and then the next quarter, you know, there, you know, everybody wants to be, you know, this technical rescue underwater scuba diving, not tying <laughs> space shuttle pilot with you know seven walkers on their sleeve. Look, it's the fire department. Our primary function is to save lives and property endangered by fire. Man, so, do we get caught up on all the fancy shit these days, yeah. Chief? And I'm a USAR guy. I mean, I was on the state task force in Jersey for years. I was at ground zero for 12 days, man. I'm a hazmat tech. I mean, I'm all those things because at some point in time, those emergencies happen and the community is going to call the fire department to fix it. So we've got to have people who can do that. But I always told the folks that were assigned to me when I was at the rescue, when I was at hazmat, look, we got to be good at the specialty stuff, man, but we got to be firefighters too, because in Cherry Hill, you know, we had six stations staffed 24 hours a day. That was it. So you couldn't have a third of the fire department just saying, oh, no, we're the specialists. We're the hazmat guys. No, we're the rescue guys. Everybody in Cherry Hill, if we had, if we had a working fire, everybody ended up at the fire. There was no room to hide because we weren't that big a fire department. Yeah. So tactical excellence is all about being able to do that. You know? No, it makes, it makes a lot of sense. Makes an absolute lot of sense. And my comment before too, is like, as the responsibilities of the fire service has grown and funding has come in now as grant funding and this and that next thing, you know, we got a lot of rope teams, a lot of water teams, a lot of uh, specialty teams that are being created in fire departments. And we're starting to lose in some aspects of it. We're starting to lose what the basics of this job is all about. Career volunteer. People call us for fires. They call us for emergencies and rescues and all that. And I get that. I'm not belittling any of that. But when our standardized everyday bread and butter type operation training goes out the window for different types of specialized stuff, specialized training requires a massive amount of training. And if yeah. you want to get into a different discipline, that usually takes over your training curriculum. And next thing you know, we're not stretching, searching, or forcing. We're yep. tying, belaying, and building, right? Like, and yeah. yeah, I agree with you. I agree. So I, I've worked in I've worked in several agencies, and it was every rig has got to set have a set of hydraulic rescue tools on it. Well, why? 
you know, well, you know, they've got them over there at the squad company. And, you know, one of these days we may get on a run, you know, and they're busy. All right. Well, look, one of these days, hell may freeze, freeze over too, man. I get it. I don't, I don't diminish possibilities, but when everybody's got a set of rescue tools, all of a sudden people want to cancel the rescue because they're going to handle it all themselves because they got a rescue tool on their rig. And what ends up happening, and I've seen this, you know, with my own two eyes, instead of having a small group of people who are very good at doing a particular task, everybody is marginal at the task. And it happens. I mean, now, if you're in a big agency, if you're, you know, if I go back to, you know, when I first went to Sunrise Beach, we got two firehouses staffed 24 hours a day. We're 63 square miles. In that situation, is there, you know, it makes more sense to have rescue tools on both of the rigs. But when you're in a small area, you know, when you're in when you're in 13 square miles and every rig has got a set of rescue tools on it, it's like, no, wait a minute, wait a minute. You know, we're just, you know, we're just diluting the core mission, the core mission by everybody wanting to everything i love that i wrote it down i didn't get the exact quote but it's instead of a small group of all-star i put all-stars everyone has become marginal yeah i think there's so much to that statement i i that's awesome chief thank you that's a good one that's a good one i mean i've seen it with my own two eyes i mean it happens i mean it happens you know and and one of you know in in some of the cases I became unpopular as a fire chief because I made that decision. No, we're not going to do that. Well, you know, we've always done it like that before in the past. And, you know, you're taking something away from us. It's like, like, bro, you know, when, when's the last time you actually needed this stuff? And besides, you know, there's a couple things. Number one, it's not yours. It belongs to the community. And the community wants to have these resources employed in the best most efficient way you know we're not doing that and number two i get to make the decisions and i normally i don't throw the chief card on the table too much but it's some, you know at, at some times you know you got to understand that the boss is the boss and they get to have the final word and if you can't convince the boss boss to go your way then you know maybe you just need to say okay roger that and do what the boss tells you to and work hard to become the boss so you can change it back to the way you want it. But until that happens, a decision's made and, you know, hey, this is the decision and we need to move forward instead of constantly knocking the scab off the wound. I may ride on the truck these days, but I still keep my original snagger tool by Modus Fire Rescue on me at all times, just in case those guys on the engine need some help moving the line. The snagger is great for that and many more things. It's also great for used for breaking tempered glass or in a pinch as a spanner wrench. So head over to modusfirerescue.com and use code THESIZEUP, one word, to save yourself 5%. This episode's brought to you by Taylor's Tins. Taylor and his crew at Taylor's Tins have been manufacturing aluminum helmet fronts since 2017 with over 200,000 tins in the market they are a leader in the helmet front space custom design one-offs to department orders they can turn them around within 24 to 48 hours customer service is what they pride themselves on and they provide nothing but top shelf 
product and service to their customers. Check them out at taylorstins.com and check out their full line of product offering. They've always been a very strong supporter since day one with the National Fire Radio podcast and platform. And Taylor and his crew have become dear friends of ours, and we appreciate the support. And at checkout, for a little extra bonus, use coupon code NFR sent me. That's NFR sent me for a discount on your order. Exclusions do apply. Anyway, check out taylorstins.com for the latest and greatest offerings from Taylor and his crew. And in the words of Taylor, stop burning up leather. Yo, and just, yeah, yeah. I, it's really good. I mean, all we want are people to make decisions, and then when they make them, we complain about them. <laughs> exactly, exactly. It's hilarious. It's, it's comical, I, right? We always want something. Like, it doesn't matter. Volunteer career, union, no unions, doesn't, yep. you know, officer union, firefighters union, chief, like, it doesn't matter. Like, everybody, nobody ever wants anything taken away. And if you take away, I want something else. And yep. it's like, yep. you know, at some point, right? Like, if you want things to work a certain way, not everything has to be a compromise. And I think we've created this environment where that's all we know now. Okay, well, if you're going to do this, then I need you to do that. And yep. I just, I have a hard time with that, Chief. Well, you know, it goes back to, you know, some of the things I talk about in, you know, my tactical excellence lecture. You know, the boss has got to be the boss, you know. Yes. So at some time you say no. I mean, I, you know, I don't know if I use this example when I was in Texas, but I often use this example when I give that lecture. You know, about 75% of the human brain always looks for the negative. Okay. Mm. And that's science tells you that because that's a holdover from the days when the saber toothed tigers were chasing us, right? right? Protecting the so, sanctum of the union. Yes, absolutely. Yeah. So now, so now this guy comes in your office and he's all whipped up. I mean, he's in a frenzy. He's got, you know, he's got the firehouse turned on its ear because a shift change, Louie said X, Y, and Z. So you look at the guy, he said, you know, Louie hasn't been right in 10 years. <laughs> I do remember this from your class. Keep talking. Yeah. Keep going. Well, well, yeah. Well, Louie hasn't been right in 10 years, but because the human brain is always, you know, defaults in 75% of its capacity to look at the negative. When Louie comes up with this bizarre thing that, hey, I heard the chief's going to paint all the fire trucks purple and we're going to have to drive backwards. I mean, he, I mean, he's out there squawking about this in the bay and he gets the entire firehouse all whipped up. Yep. And and the, and the bosses need to go out there and say, hey, listen, you know, guys, if the order comes out, then that's what we'll do. But understand that Louie hasn't been right in 10 years. And, and I had this con- – I've used that example, and I've had this – I've used that example in conversation after conversation after conversation. And every time I have it, guys just look like the light bulb comes on, like, yeah. <laughs> well, that's the way it is. So – Focus on tactical excellence. Focus on being the very best that you can be at Mrs. Smith's emergency. Go on out there, put a blanket on that stuff, and then you know. I, and I tell officers every time you start having some trouble in the firehouse with you know these type of things, load up on the rig and go out and throw ladders. You know, go out and pull hose. Load up on the rig and go out and look at a target hazard. Hey, listen, guys, we'll talk about this later. Right now. We want to go out and look at the garden apartments and figure out how we're going to stretch to the interior courtyard that's 400 foot off of the driveway. Mm. How are we going to do it? And just get guys out there. And for the most part, and I also believe this, it's really easy to get a bunch of firemen whipped up in the bay because Louie's, you know, spouting off at the mouth. 
but it's also easy to get them to focus back on the fire job yes. if you take if you take Louie out of the equation. Yes. Hey man, don't worry about that. You know, and the other thing that people say, well, you know, dumb policy came out. I can't believe it. I can't believe the chief wrote this policy. I would never do that. Well, my experience tells me that somebody did do that. And when the chief went to take action, HR said you can't take action because there's no policy in place about that particular thing. So that's why the chief wrote what you believe is a dumb policy. But why are you worried about it? If you would never do it, it's never going to apply to you. Yes. So don't worry about it. Yes. And that's, you know, and, and that's, you know, one of my messages in my tactical excellence program. If you're a boss in the firehouse, if you're a line chief working on the street, you got to start having these conversations with your folks so that we can keep them focused on the mission. Instead of letting all this, you know, you know, peripheral crap work its way into our day, because once it does, you know, the peripheral crap can take over the day, 100%. and we can, and we can lose sight of what the mission is. So bosses have that responsibility to keep us mission focused, and that's what tactical excellence is all about. Yeah, I love that. And what I wrote down too is, uh, and I put a star around, like a circle didn't start it for further conversation, but shift the focus, right? Like a good boss, yeah. a good boss is resilient <laughs> in his approach, and so if he sees that Willie or or Joe or Frank is the the troubled guy who keeps bringing people down the negative path. Right. Work around him. Shift the focus. Like you say, get in the engine, go for a ride. Shift the focus away from the the kitchen table, the apparatus floor. Put the guys out there and do something different to shift the focus so that you can get out of that conversation and and go down the positive road. Couldn't agree with you more. And and that's one of the tools I've learned over the course of time that, you know, confrontation at times is necessary. You, know, you just you just got to. But these folks that we're talking about, confrontation really isn't going to do a whole bunch. <laughs> so manage the entire firehouse. Sometimes officers get so involved with managing the problem, the problem firefighter, they forget that there's three other firefighters in the firehouse that really don't want to buy into his shit. Yeah. So load up on the rig, and go out and stretch line because what happens is when this guy starts really complaining, oh, you know, we're out here doing this dumb drill. Everybody else on the rig is going to look at him like, what do you mean we're doing this dumb drill? You know, we got this new apartment building that's a center courtyard building, and we can't reach these apartments with our pre-connect, so we need to get out here and figure out how we're going to do it because the guy that's squawking, like I said, that person, you know, the human brain is naturally inclined to look at the negative, and that's the driving force in this, you know, person's life. They've been miserable all their life. They're miserable at home. They're miserable at work. That's you know? right. But when we focus the company, and, and and we're making the assumption that the rest of the company wants to be good firefighters, when we focus our efforts at, you know, mission accomplishment, the good firefighters are going to rally around the boss, but you got to be the boss. You know, you got, you got to figure out a way to, to do this 
to kind of bring the other folks in. And it's not necessary. And, 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 and look, sometimes you got to have a confrontation with the, with the mutt. You know, you got to pull, pull him in. You got to set him in, in his place. Yes. But, but, you know, the default option when I was in the U.S. Army was not to go to tactical nukes. Yeah. I mean, we went through a whole bunch of stuff, with, you know, like like bullets and artillery and whatever before we got to that point. <laughs> so there's different there's different ways to work through this particular issue. I agree. And and I was going to ask you, and I'm glad you brought that up. But is that where a lot of your your style comes from? Like, I know that you were in the military. You you also work privately uh, overseas, too, for a security firm as well. So. I'm sure you've been tested and put in situations where calm wins, right? And and oh, confront, confrontation matters when you have to employ it, right? So, like, is that where a lot of your foundation came from and how you deal with people today? Because I love the last 35 minutes of this podcast, the approach from you has been uh, in a way that it's it's 100% believable in you practice what you say. This is this is who you are. This is how you've employed your uh, your style of of officership uh, in the fire service. So, is the foundation based and rooted out of the your military time? Absolutely, uh, absolutely. I mean, I you know I was and so you know I grew up in the mid seventies. Uh, you know I was kind of a wild kid, and I just wanted to get away from home. You know it's like I'm tired of you know mom and dad you know telling me what to do. So sure. I just wanted to get away from home, and the easy way for me to get away from home was to go into the military. So you know I you know so I went in the army. You know I volunteered to go to jump school, and when I ended up at the 82nd Airborne. Uh, I was the only guy in my platoon that hadn't been in Vietnam. I was it. I was, I was, I had turned 18 in basic training. So I get to the 82nd in July of 1976 and everybody else in the medical platoon was a Vietnam veteran. I mean, we had a guy in our platoon who had earned a distinguished service cross wow. in Vietnam. Mm -hmm. So when you get in that environment you know, and, 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 and that's, you know, that's where, that's how I learned. That's how I grew up. I mean, yeah. because when you get those people are like that, those people, you know, think like that, they act like that. And I'm just, so, so I'm, you know, I'm in my formative years and I'm saying, well, listen, if these type of behaviors allowed them to survive Vietnam, Maybe there's something to it, and I did adopt some of that. And then when I went to work on the private side, I worked I worked with a, a ton of Navy SEALs. I worked with a bunch of Army SF guys, some Rangers, some Air Force Special Ops guys, and a couple of CCTs and a PJ. And that's the way these folks do business, and yeah. you know, and that's what allows them to be successful. And that's what you know those those life experiences I've had, I try to share with folks. I, I, I had a battalion chief tell me one time, uh, you know what, you know, sometimes I just let my emotions get the best of me. I go, chief, chief, that is like the worst characteristic you can have. You can't let your emotions get the best of you. You got to be able to dial back. I mean, when I teach, when I teach incident management, you know, I, I talk about this a lot, you know, in Cherry Hill, you know, we had a good communication center, you know, we're going to make runs. So the dispatchers would come back and say, Hey chief, you're going to work on this. We're taking multiple calls. We're doing whatever. 
And I always say this to officers, when I got that transmission, I would take my foot off of the gas. I would roll the window down in my car and I would take a deep breath. Now, did I lose four seconds doing that? Absolutely. Did that four seconds make a difference on the fire ground? Absolutely not. But that little tactical pause at four to five seconds allowed me to reset my internal clock and and slow myself down just a little bit so I can make good decisions, as opposed to the people that as soon as they get that message, they bury the gas pedal against the firewall, and before you know it, they're screaming on the radio. And when that happens, the whole incident goes sideways. Yeah. So, yeah. So, yeah, I mean, in answer to your question, I mean, that, that's the, that is the demeanor I always tried to portray. I didn't always do it, you know. Hey, listen, I'm, you know, I, 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 I'm a human being just like anybody else. But my default was that, and and it served me well. But you know, and, and I'll tell a quick story. You know, we we went to VES ladders, and uh, I wanted to mount it well on the rig because we had a high, a lot of high window sills. Well, one of the guys at the truck company, he wanted, he wanted, he decided that we needed a that we need to have a parapet ladder in the bucket more than we need to have a VES ladder low on the rig. So the rig comes in and I say, hey, listen, move that ladder down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So the next week comes by and the ladder's still up on the main. And I, I, I mean, I literally lost my shit. <laughs> you know, and it is that saying of, you know, don't ever do anything when you're angry that makes you happy. And ah. man, I, Boy, I, I I violated that, but but you know what? They moved the ladder too. So, yeah, I I mean, there's a time and a place, right? And it's yeah, uh, yeah. and it also has to do. I mean, and that's what I think. What for a good leader and a good manager, right? A good boss, it's yeah. being able to understand the situation at hand and then how to respond. You know, in in regards to that situation. And I yep. think, you know, you said it before and I wrote it down, emotions get the best of me. It's a, it's not a good it's not a good trait to have as a boss because that's going to get you in a lot of trouble um, yep. because you're going to put yourself in a situation that, you know, didn't need to be treated in such a way. But since you wear your emotions on your sleeve and you don't take that, you don't take your foot off the accelerator for a second and take that deep breath when you roll the window down, right, in your words. I yep. mean, it's it's super important. Absolutely. Well, I, I think also every once in a while, it, it's okay to kind of, you know, kind of partially lose your 100%, shit. I mean, don't, 100%. You know, don't go berserk. But, but, but I'll tell you what, everybody looked at me and it's like, uh oh, you know, no doubt. We, we, yeah, we, we, we don't want to piss this guy off. And, you know, sometimes you got to, you got to use all the tools. I mean, as I go, you know, let's go back to what I said. I think when, when this all started, Hey, you know, being a boss is, you know, you're in the people business. So you got to understand people. You got to understand how to get people in a position where they're going to listen to you. They're going to respect you. They're going to do what you want them to do. So every once in a while, do you throw a seven to let everybody know? And and I'm good friends with uh, Scott Thompson from sure. the colony. And Scott's got this same that goes along the lines of, hey, don't make me be the fire chief. You know, now, if, it, it, yeah, if you push me enough, I'm going to be the fire chief. And until the city manager fires me, I'm the fire chief and I'm going to win. So just don't make me be the fire chief. 
And I think sometimes, and, and you know, the other thing, you know, I think, you know, people want to know that they're working for a person, not just a robot, not this, you know, not this person who's always going to be. Now, you don't want to be that chief everybody looks at when you walk through the door and saying, boy, I wonder, I wonder which one's going to show up today. You know, you got to have some real consistency and you got to have control and restraint. But I think it's okay to be a human being, too. Yeah, I'm I'm writing some of this down because you're hitting on things that I've just recently started talking about a little bit more on the platform. And a lot of it's this like bipolar that that's happening yeah. with a lot yeah. of our leaders and our firefighters where it's like you could do the same thing two days in a row and one day gets a different response than the next day. And it's like yeah. you don't know. And we all have those guys in the firehouse where we say, like, I wonder if he took his meds today. And I know. Yep. Listen, oh, I, mental health and all that. And people are going to be like, oh, my God, you can't say those things anymore. I get it. It's it's yeah. it, listen, this is firehouse talk right now. OK, so yeah, like but ultimately, like we need to nip that we we can't it's because i'll tell you why too chief and i'd love your take on this but if you're like that at the kitchen table that one day you're one guy and the next day you're somebody else does that mean that you're one day a different guy on the engine or the truck yep. meaning one day you'll go above and beyond but the next day you might be more reserved and laid back like yep. i i need to know who you are and i think that's all encompassing and not just your personality or not just your actions. It's all of it. Yeah. So I, you know, I think, uh, you know, I think firefighters are looking to their leaders to try to figure out what their default outlook is. You mm. know, what can, what can I, what can I expect from him or her on a regular basis? Yes. Now, is everybody going to have a bad day? Is everybody going to be a little bit off? You know, you know, one day is somebody going to push your buttons and you're just going to push back. Well, yeah. But if you look consistently over time, you know, you got to have that default that people say, okay, yeah, that's the boss. You know, that's the boss that we know. And, you know, we know where we stand. We know what our expectations are. We know what our limits are. And we know, you know, and that's the other thing too that I tell officers and I tell, you know, I tell line chiefs is do you, you know, do you have a clear understanding of what your people expect of you? Mm. You know, when you're on a fire, when you're making, you know, when you're making decisions, you know, when you're, you know, deciding strategies, when you're ordering companies to go to work, you know, or your company saying, boy, I wonder how this one's going to go. Or are they saying, hey, you know, the boss is dialed in, man, we're going to be okay. You know, we, we expect, you know, I, I, I'm a, I like to fancy myself as a very aggressive intelligent but very aggressive fire ground officer and when i got to work in fire my folks know that i'm going to give orders to be as aggressive on the fire ground as we possibly can and i talk about you know default postures and one of my default postures is we're going to take aggressive action regardless of the strategy Okay, certainly, you know, if we're making an interior push on an offensive strategy, I mean, that's pretty aggressive. But even if we go defensive, we're looking to exploit every opportunity we can to save as much as we possibly can. Because I see fire chiefs all the time, and when they go to defensive, they just dial everything back and they basically they let the building burn down. Well, you know, even in a default posture, I want to try to save as much as I can because, you know, in that one piece of the building that we save may be the company's computers. 
and now they got their client list and maybe their records room and now they can rent office space and that company can start go back in the business the next day so how are we you know how are we going to aggressively attack attack a defensive situation while we're still being reasonable in our risk management and, you know, that goes back to, like I said, d default postures and what people can expect and, you know, what people, you know, you know, how people operate. I just think it's very, very important. And for chiefs and for bosses, you get to that point by spending time with the people, by, you know, interacting with them, by training with them, by sitting down at the kitchen table and having a cup of coffee and talking about stories and answering questions. I mean, that, that's all that's all part of it. I mean, unfortunately, some some lazy people get promoted into rank. And then before you know it, they're they're the ones in their office. The only time they ever come out is when you ring the dinner bell or you get a run. And that doesn't produce tactical excellence. Tactical excellence is all a byproduct of all the time we spend in the firehouse getting ready for that run by conversation, by pre-planning, by training, by just getting to know each other. Yeah. Yeah. I love it, man. I, I like we can go for hours on this. Absolutely. Where does all this come from, from you, right? I mean, we talked about your military background, which kind of made you understand the type of leader you wanted to be, mm -hmm. uh, how to respond and, and, and so on. But the training side of it, putting the people first, like where, where does, where does this come from? Because it just flows out of you. Right. And so I'm just, I'm mesmerized by it. You know, you, you, yeah. I, I talk with people all the time and some people just have this thing about them that everything they say, you just get consumed by. And, and you're one of those people right now in the last almost hour of this podcast, I'm sitting here and I know that everything you're saying, you truly believe in. And, and yeah. I love that. It's that's where you get the buy-in people buy in. Right. And so Where's that come from? Like this level of, of expectations of training and the buy-in, like where, was this taught to you? Was this something you just inherently have had? I, I think it's a little both, you know, certainly the, you know, certainly the environments I was in, uh, being surrounded by good people, you know, being yeah. held to did a you high have, standard. Did you have strong mentors? Oh uh, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I did. You know, so I, I don't, you know, and I'm not necessarily sure that they were, you know, a mentor in the sense that we use yeah. the term mentor nowadays, but they were my contemporaries. They were the people I worked with and they held themselves to a high standard. They held everybody in the organization to a high standard. And I always said, well, you know, hey, listen, you know, these are the cool kids. You know, this is the table I want to sit at. I mean, I don't, I don't want to be sitting at the table over there with the shit bag. I want to be sitting over here at the table with these folks. And it, it was very, very clear. Everybody earns your seat. You don't, you're not given a seat at the table. You earn it. And that's just kind of the world that I came up in. And like I said, I, you know, I, you know, my experiences in the army, molding me. I come from, you know, you know, Irish, you know, Roman Catholic working folks in New York, you know, and, you know, my dad worked, you know, for years and years and years. And, you know, that's just kind of the way we are. But the other thing that I'll add to this, and, 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 and well, you saw, I got kind of emotional when I talked about this in Texas, you know, I took an oath. 
I mean, my my family, every time I got promoted, my wife and my kids yes. came to the ceremony and they watched me put my hand on the Bible and take an oath that said, I will do my job to the best of my ability. And and, and that's, you know, my, my family, the ones that I think, you know, my number ones, my wife, you know, like I said, blind and deaf, the only reason why, you know, that's the only explanation <laughs> I can say that she stayed with me for 38 years, right? My kids, my grandkids, when they look at me, you know, they look at me taking that oath and I say, I'm going to do my job to the best of my ability. That's what they expect me, you know, to produce. Now I, and certainly, but they always, you know, and now that I'm retired, I don't really have to worry about it that much, but you know, they, they knew what I did for a living. I mean, they always wanted me to come home, Yes. but they knew what I did and they knew how important it was to me. And they knew that, you know, I consider myself a man of principles and values. And then if I take an oath to do, do a job to the best of my abilities, that's what it means. So just, you know, roll up your sleeves and go do your job. I you know? am. Uh, it, go ahead. Go ahead. And, and everything else just flows from that. I mean, I think, that, you know, that's my default and that's my starting point. So and that's what's gotten me to, you know, who I am and, you know, my leadership style and the way I conduct yeah. myself and yeah. the way I carry myself. So I'll tell you this. Um, what you just framed a couple minutes ago for me was something that I've been looking for for a very long time now, and you framed it exactly how I needed to hear it, and I thank you for that. Um, All the talking I do, sometimes I have a hard time taking some of my ideas and concepts in my own head and putting them to word that makes sense. Mm -hmm. What you talked about was not necessarily having mentors, but you had contemporaries, and those contemporaries were the kids at the cool table, if you will, and those are the ones that you wanted to emulate, be a part of, And maybe they weren't a direct mentor, meaning one-on-one mentorship, but you were inspired and influenced by your contemporaries. And for me, you the way you frame that is exactly what I've been looking for about how my upbringing was in the fire service. I don't have any one-offs or or one or two people that were absolute mentors, a one-on-one basis that I wanted to emulate and be like. What I wanted to be like were the badass mother effers in the room, the guys yeah. that had the respect on the fire ground and in the fire company. And for that, those were contemporaries and those were people that I wanted to be like. And that is a form and sense of mentorship. So thank you, Chief. <laughs> you just framed that up perfectly for me. And, uh, man, that's that's awesome. Thank you. That well, was cool. Well, that was great. I'm, I'm- I'm glad that I could help. And, 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 I, and, and, and I, I, I will say this. I will say this to everybody that's listening, okay, and who will eventually hear this. If you want to sit at that table, all you got to do is work hard. Yeah, because, yeah. Because the people at that table, you know, first off, you got to understand the people at that table, they know what they're looking at. You know, so, you know, you're you're not going to blow smoke in their ass. They know exactly what they're looking at. And if you want to be at that table, all you got to do is prove that you're willing to work and you're willing to work hard. And everyone that sits at that table will extend a hand and they will help you be that person, because if they weren't willing to do that, they wouldn't be sitting at that table because they had to demonstrate the same thing to the people who were sitting at the table before them. And that's how they got their invite. So all you got to do is work 
hard. Be willing to work hard. Park your ego. Be willing to listen. Be willing to train. Be willing to work hard. And those and those folks will they'll bring you in, man. They'll bring you into the tribe. And before you know it, I mean, I I, I talk to people. I still talk to people in Cherry Hill. I think Cherry Hill was the cornerstone of my career. It was the formative period of my career. I learned so much in Cherry Hill from the people at that table. And we still talk with each other. I was coming back from the airport yesterday from uh, Michigan. I was at Great Lakes Hot. And one of these people I'm talking about reached out to me and just called me. Hey, man, how you doing? Happy Father's Day. Wanted to reach out to you. These are people who will be in my life who support me until the day that I die. And, th and that's why I am what I am, because I'm part of that. And I know that I'm part of that because I'm willing to do the work. I'm willing yeah. to do the right yeah. thing. And yeah. it's just, you know, it's it, it's more now, now, look, I mean, you know, I will say that the fire service has provided a great living for me, and, and I'm not diminishing that. But, you know, those those other rewards that I've just described, I mean, they're just they're just so good and so valuable and they just, you know, help you make it through life. It's like, all right, man, let me roll my sleeves up and, you know, let me go train or let me go do PT or let me go to this conference, you know, because that, you know, the rewards come 10 times over what you put out. If you're willing to put out. Well, that's it chief. I mean, this job, anybody that tells you this job hasn't done anything for them, then they're not doing anything for the job. I mean, that, that's that's it, right? Like, I, I think about everything in my life that I can follow back to something in the fire service and what it's provided for me, whether it's money, whether it's cars, my home, yep. my, my family, my, you know, experiences, my friendships, the relationships I have, the, the laughter in my life, the highs, the lows. Everything yep. comes back to the firehouse. And it's because I've given myself to it. And I think when you do that, the, re the return is there. And uh, I challenge you, if you're not getting a return, then look at yourself and see what you're doing to uh, yeah. what's your what's your investment. Right. The only way yeah. you can get a return is if you invest. You know, two, two types of firefighters in this world, those who wear a uniform and those who wear a costume. Yeah, I like that. There you go. Yeah. Chief, real <laughs> quick, uh, we're, I want to start wrapping, but I got something sure. I want to bring up with you because I've been talking about it since. I met you two weeks ago. This has been mm -hmm. on my brain. And at the end of your seminar, at the end of your conference, your seminar, your class, you have a slide. It's called Seminar Hangover. Yes. That resonated yes. with me. And actually, when I closed the conference when we were together, I talked about it. I quoted yeah. you. And I said, uh, I said, you know, I had never heard it put that way before. And the closing, I actually, somebody videoed it from the conference. I put it up on Instagram and it got, and, and uh, Facebook, and it got a tremendous amount of feedback from people. And it's, it's very much this. And I took it from you. But the, the term seminar hangover, we all leave, we all go into seminars and we have such a high when we're there because we're surrounded by like minded people, people yep. that are there just like I want to be there. And it's the highs of the camaraderie, the training, the tactical skills, the learning, whatever it is, it's the highs of it all. And then we get back to the firehouse and we ride backwards with the guy in the back of the engine or an officer up front that's just not the same. And you go from the highs to the very low. You go back to reality. Talk to me about seminar hangover. 
Well, I mean, it, you know, it's 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 very true. I mean, that's just kind of the way it is. I mean, you know, if you're working with Joe, the landscaper, you know, that guy who is only at the fire department so he can sharpen his lawnmower blades on the bench grinder and 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 nap, you know, going to a seminar is not going to change the fact that he's there. But what I say is. You know, understand that before you even go to the seminar, understand that you're going to come back on Monday and some of these folks are still going to be there. So yes. don't don't let them pull you down and take away the value you got at the seminar. And a lot of times, you know, a lot of times, you know, the problem is the weak officer or the bad officer, he's in charge. But there, there's good firefighters in the company. A lot of times you got the, you know, you got the mutt in the firehouse, but there's two or three other people. So when you come back to the firehouse, you know, you, you start, you know, you got to measure the people you're working with say, Hey, listen, you know, I know that Billy is probably going to be interested in some of the things we did at the seminar. So you don't worry about trying to teach the mutt because, and that's where everybody, that's where you get the hangover, you know, Oh, I, I've got this new great thing, man. I'm going to go back and I'm going to change the company. I'm going to change the mutt. I'm going to change the officer. A lot of times those people aren't going to change no matter what. So take your knowledge to the people who are going to listen. And it may not be the folks in your firehouse. It may be somebody on the other platoon. It may be somebody at a different firehouse. It may be somebody at shift change that you know you're passing. You're passing on shift change. You know they're on the B platoon. You're on the C. Invest in the folks and share the stuff from the seminar with people who are going to listen. Yeah. And sometimes you know, and sometimes we come back from these seminars, and we forget the fact that the fire service is not what you saw at the seminar. What you saw at the seminar is a segment, an element of the fire service. And then there's the other elements out there. So just, you know, just understand that's going to happen. You know, understand that, you know, sometimes you just got to take the information and do nothing with it except rehash it for yourself and learn it better. Share it with the people who you are, you know, who are willing to listen. But this goes back into a slide that was, you know, like six slides before. You know, if you want to be part of excellence, you got to get involved. Yes. Okay. And that means sometimes you got to promote. You know, we, you know, I got a crappy, uh, you know, I, I'm working for, I'm working for a crappy captain. Okay. Well, you know what? If you promote the captain, you're never going to have to work for him again. So sometimes you got to, you know, put some, sometimes you got to put some skin in the game, you know, there's and, something and, very true to that chief. Yep. And that will help prevent the seminar hangover because now you're not going to have to go back and deal with that person that, you know, as a captain, you're going to be able to go to a seminar and you're going to be able to come back and share with your subordinates and they will listen. If nothing else, you have the legal authority. They'll have to sit there and listen. So those are ways that you can work around it, but just it's, it, it happens. So don't, you know, don't think that it's not going to happen because it does. Yeah. And don't get discouraged when it, you know, no. and, and that's the no. thing. And I, I talked no. about don't sacrifice your own values for, for someone no. else. And no. so, you know, take that, take that experience that you've had at a conference or a training night or whatever yeah. it is and take the positive of it and don't let anybody strip you of that. Don't, yeah. it's not worth it. 
It's not fair to yeah. you. Yeah, it's only it's only a segment in your career, your careers. You you got another 20 years. Don't worry about Monday. Love it. You know, worry about the one. You know, you got to play the long game. Worry about what you're going to do to make the place better a year from now or five years from now or promote up or go to training or, you know, there's so many opportunities in even small departments for people who want to make a positive change. You just got to you just got to do the work. I'm uh, I'm writing this one down. I'm circling it. You got another 20 years. Don't worry about Monday. I that yeah. brother. That's yeah. awesome. I <laughs> chief. That's fantastic. That's a good line, man. That's a really yeah. good line. So thank you, Chief Dennis Riley, brother. What a great conversation today, man. I uh, and we only scratched the surface, brother. Um, but I just I really enjoyed my time with you today. It was fantastic. Yeah. Oh, well, I mean, it, it was a, it, it's a highlight for me, man. I mean, this, is, this, well, it's been a great conversation. I mean, it's, you know, it's made me sit here and revisit things that, you know, awesome. sometimes, you know, you, you think about stuff the way you are. I mean, it's just, it, it, it just is like, it, it's on autopilot. Yeah. But then you have these conversations that you got to go back and really start thinking about that's it. It's a, like, that's a oh, very yeah, good yeah, way yeah. to put it. Yeah. 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 So well, and I and I get challenged like that all the time when I do these episodes, right? And so, you know, I get to talk with different people and I have my opinions formed and my style, my strategy, and it's changed over time because, you know, when I was younger I was hot headed and, and and loud. And as I've gotten older and matured, I've gotten more uh you know, more strategic and calm and you know, and yep. through all of that though, it comes with these conversations. And um and just when I think I have something dialed in I have a conversation that I go, hmm, didn't think of it that way, yep. you know? And so, yep. and I think that's it, Chief. 49 years, almost 50 years in the fire service for you, and you're still learning every single day. Um, yeah. That's awesome. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. Well, I think I think when you, st- you know, nowadays if you're standing still, you're moving backwards. You got that so, right. So, you know, if you want, you know, if you want to be a contributor, if you want to bring value, you know, if you want to be part of excellence, then you got to work. Yeah. I mean, I'm sorry. I mean, that's, that's, you know, and, and I go back to, you know, my blue collar roots. I mean, that's the one thing I learned, man. You got to work, you know, I, I mean, I, I've pushed a wheelbarrow. I've run a jackhammer. I've run a shovel. I mean, you know, I've had those experiences and if you want to be part of excellence, you just got to work. Couldn't say it any better myself. Chief Dennis Riley. Thank you, brother. Thanks for joining me today on the podcast. I appreciate you very, very much. Excellent, man. It's been, it's been truly a pleasure. I appreciate cool. the opportunity. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much. Stay right. Oh, uh, real quick, your training company. Talk about where people can find you. Social media, email, website, yep. what you're doing. Talk to me. Yep. Uh, um, basically, Facebook. Uh, you know, that's the only thing that I really can manage. I can't. I can't manage more than one platform at a time. <laughs> Uh, yeah, I am 65. You know, what I is got it? white. Out, I got white out on my screens from all the mistakes I make. You uh, know? But hey, that's cool. It's uh, the First Line Fire Service Training LLC. The First Line Fire Service Training LLC. I yep. love it. Beautiful yep. guys, check them out. Check out Chief Dennis Riley. If you enjoyed this episode, let us know. Uh, shoot me an email at podcast at nationalfireradio.com. Let me know your thoughts about Chief Dennis Riley and this fantastic conversation we had today. A lot of great nuggets and sound bites coming out of this one. Chief, thank you, like I said, for joining me. I truly enjoyed the conversation, and more so, I enjoy you and call you a friend now. And uh, I'm so glad our paths crossed. And uh, I'm, I'm so happy that you joined me today and trusted me with your story. So thank you, man. I'm forever grateful. 
and I'm just thankful that you've allowed me to join your circle. Hell yeah. Some really, some really, really top-notch stuff. Awesome. Thank you, brother. Stay right here. Yep. I'm going to sign off the podcast. I'll come right back to you. So thank okay. you. Okay. Everyone, thank you for tuning in for another episode of the National Fire Radio Podcast. What a freaking episode today, man. I love that. I love these talk. I love guests that like to talk. And I like guests that really have formulated opinions that uh, that I can just go with. And uh, what a great conversation today. So do me a favor. I say it all the time when we close out on the podcast. Take this conversation. Take it back to the kitchen table. Take it back to the firehouse and talk about it. Because when we talk about the job, we're making the job better. Anyway, thanks for tuning in. We'll see you at the next one. Jeremy, National Fire Radio.